Amen. All right. Now, last week, I ended up not preaching. Uh, I shared a couple of scriptures because of the hurricane that was coming, and what an amazing uh, answer to prayer that we received. Absolutely. And uh, I, I shared some scriptures, uh, which I'm not going to go over today, uh, on our authority, and then we joined in prayer. I want to give you an update on Rebecca, uh, your prayers, your prayers, your faith, your authority, standing in the name of Jesus, okay, is doing awesome things. And uh, when Pastor and Jan and I first went to the hospital, she had died uh, she had already been in there several weeks from a severe car accident. They went to move her and prepare her to put a tracheotomy in so that they could get the tube out of her mouth. It would be more beneficial for her. Every time they ever touched her, her blood pressure would go through the roof, and her numbers were crazy. And that night, she died, and they had to resuscitate her. After we went there and prayed, rebuked the spirit of anxiety as God gave me a word of knowledge, and she has been in perfect peace. They have now done the procedure to put the tracheotomy in her, and everything went perfectly well. Her blood pressure remained constant. I just got a text during the service that uh, she is just doing very, very well. Amen. We give the glory to the one who's doing it. Amen. God is the miracle worker. God forbid that grace and faith should take credit. God forbid that me or any one of us as individuals should try to take the credit. We give all the glory to the one who has all the power and who is the God of the kingdom. Absolutely. Yes. All right. So um, <clears throat> I started to... Uh, I was going to preach a message last week that I'm preaching this week. Let me see. Here we go. And let me just fix this up. There you go. Fantastic. Uh, I'm back on track. I'm back. I just had to make sure my laptop didn't keep turning off. Um, two weeks ago, I preached, what kingdom are you living for? Are you living for the kingdom of now? Are you living for the kingdom of self? Are you living for the kingdom of the United States of America? Are you living for the kingdom of you and your immediate family? Or are you living for the kingdom of God? There are many types of kingdoms. We can live for the kingdom of pleasure. We can live for the kingdom of money, for industry. We can live for the kingdom of personal advancement. We could live for the kingdom of God. What I love about the kingdom of God is that every other kingdom fits inside the kingdom of God. Because when you live for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God will bless you with pleasure and bless you with everything you need. Has anyone ever experienced that? Come on. Come on. All right, now. Listen, I, I, I know that... Uh, uh, Ian roared and Ian thundered, so to speak, and Ian came crashing down on uh, parts of the United States of America, but that doesn't mean we have to lose our shout today. See what I mean? That doesn't mean we have to lose our shout today. 
Come on. Absolutely. We can live for many kingdoms. And the most selfish of lives are the lives that live for self. But when we learn to live for a cause greater than ourselves, that's when we become a legend. And I want to leave a legacy. I don't want to just leave an epitaph on a stone. I want to leave a legacy. I want that there will be people who have been imprinted because God was able to use my broken life and somehow put it together and it had value and impact in other people's lives. But you see, that's not the destiny just of the senior pastor or preachers. That is the purpose and the destiny for each and every one of us. This world looks nothing like what God had intended it to look like. Humanity looks nothing like what God had originally destined and created it to be. And there are broken skeletons walking on the earth. There are shadows of men existing and going through the motion. There are the living dead, so to speak. But you and I are the risen dead. We are the resurrected dead. We are the God-filled, hallelujah. Once we were dead, once we were lost, but today we're found and we're alive in Jesus Christ. And God's great hope is that every one of us would get out of ourselves and out of our own little heads and out of our own little worlds and start to live for the kingdom of God on earth. So I preached, what kingdom are you living for? I shared a parable from Luke chapter 19. And uh, very quickly, uh, the parable was about a rich ruler who gave money to each of his servants. And he said, I'm going away to be made a king and I'm coming back. That is a direct parallel to the fact that Jesus went to heaven to be made king of kings and lord of lords. And he is coming back. The importance of the parable was that when this master came back, and remember, I say it to you all the time, a parable isn't just a story. A parable isn't a uh, folk tale. It's not a fairy tale. A parable is a parallel that parallels a truth in heaven that God wants to implement on earth. And so when we read the parables, you can say to yourself, that's how God wants me to live. Are you hearing me? Every parable is a sermon on how God wants us to live. So when you read the parables in God's word, take special note and say, God, okay, help me to live this out in my day-to-day -day life. And so this uh, wealthy man went away, became king, came back, and uh, he inquired of all of his subjects. So what did you do with the money that I gave you? What did you do with the potential that I gave you? What did you do with the time that I gave you? What did you do with the life that I gave you? And one turned around and said, well, your, ten, uh, your one minna, which was the money form uh, that they were given, he says, I produced 10 more. And the master said, great. I'm going to put you in charge of 10 kingdoms, uh, 10 cities. 
I already shared last week how, or two weeks ago, how in the book of Revelations we see God is going to recreate the heavens where demons have been vomiting up on humanity. He's going to wash them, refresh them, and recreate them. And he's going to recreate the earth that has been sin-stained with atrocities. Human innocent blood and even non-innocent blood has gone deep into the foundations of this earth and it rocks and reels under the weight of sin. And God is going to renew it all. And he's going to bring us back to the place just before Adam's sin. And thank God it won't be a human Adam on whose shoulders the government will rest. It'll be the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Amen. And I showed you quickly two weeks ago how in Revelation there will be kings and uh, rulers and magistrates and they will bring the produce from their nations into the holy city and lay it at God's feet as an act of worship. Do you understand that when we bring tithes and offerings that is only a copy of things to come? If you find it awkward to give God 10% and an offering on top of that, you're going to be very uncomfortable in heaven. Now, this sermon isn't about tithes and offerings, so don't worry. I'm not going after your money. But I will tell you what I am going after. This sermon is about priorities, and it's about what you're living for. So I'm going for more than your wallet. I'm going for your whole heart. The next one said, I produced five more minna. And this master said, you'll be in charge of five cities. And at the end of the parable, the one man who sat on his butt and didn't do a thing and said, well, I knew you were difficult. You're a very harsh uh, master and you expect results out of nothing. So I was afraid and I just put it in the ground and sat on it indicating some of us just sit on our salvation. God didn't give you a minna. He gave you the right to be a son of God. He gave you an inheritance that goes beyond this universe. And too often we take our Christianity and our Christianity just becomes an adjunct to our lives. Okay, I'm Rob Scarallo going through life and I'm going to be an executive and I'm earning money and I'm gaining property. And oh, I just met Jesus. I got born again. And Jesus becomes an add-on to who I am. Until we fall in love with Jesus enough that rather than Jesus and his kingdom being an add-on to us, we become an add-on to him. Are you with me? My goodness, you guys are a lot quieter today. Thank you, Russ. Show them how to do it. Absolutely. And so that parable I wrote, and I said last week, the purpose of this parable was to help people see that in the interim of the kingdom of God being physically set up on earth, we need to live for the kingdom of God now. Too often we live for the kingdom we see, the kingdom of the four walls of our house, and 
what we can put in our garage and what we can add on to the house. And please believe me, I am not against prosperity or blessing. I am against prosperity that causes us to walk away from the greatest blessing, a relationship with the Father. Amen. Here's the problem. When we preach the gospel of salvation, as we often do in the American church, people look forward to going to heaven, uh, to going to the kingdom of heaven one day when it's their time. And so the earth gets robbed of the aftermath that God wanted to create on earth by getting people saved one by one by one. We get saved and we live in our own little world. We get saved and we're just continuing on like, uh, uh, yes, our lifestyle changes, but it's still all about us. You know, we want revival. Revival started on the backs of people who met the Messiah and they gave up everything to follow him. Yeah, I know, I'm going deep. Not theologically, I'm going deep into your heart and deep into your soul to challenge you. Because I believe that if America's ever going to be great again, it's not a political promise that's going to do it. I believe it's the church going through a transition and realizing that we've preached a very convenient gospel and a gospel that centers on all of my selfishness. And we need to get back to the gospel that preaches about the fact that we are his and we've been purchased with a price. I am not my own. He paid a ransom price for me. And he wants me to turn around and have the same effect. He wants you to turn around and have the same effect. Jim. Patrick, my new buddy, Larry, just moved into town with his wife, Christine, and their daughter, Peyton, just moved in to town. Listen, God wants his church, not this building, not grace and faith, not the administration of this organization. God wants his church, good old guys like Dave. Every one of you, God wants his church to have an effect on the earth. Don't think for one minute it only happens from the pulpit. No, I'm not in your workplace, but you are. I don't live next to your neighbor, but you do. We got two new ladies here, Yvette and Iris. Yvette's been coming, sorry. uh, Iris and Yvette, yes, I know. I got it right before church, but anyway. Iris and Yvette. Yvette kept telling Iris about this place and then Iris' daughter brought her to church, and then one day uh, when uh, Iris was getting picked up, Yvette said, oh, you're going to that church? I want to come too. Now this week they told Raphael. Raphael. They told Raphael about it, and Raphael said, I want to come too. You see, this is the kingdom of God at work. Some people will call that church growth. I think that's an insult to the heart of God. I'm not trying to grow my church. I'm trying to advance the kingdom of heaven. Amen. It's a slight difference in words, but it is a huge difference in attitude. 
Church growth comes with a bit of arrogance and competition. But the kingdom of God means you could pour in at people. And I don't know if you guys have moved down here permanently or only while your daughter's doing college. But you pour in at people irrespective. Because wherever you sow your seed, you know the Father in heaven keeps good records. Amen. And we have to be kingdom minded. That's why last week I preached about what kingdom, or two weeks ago, what kingdom are you living for? Now, I I, I said to you that when I preached that, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. That was 14 days before his crucifixion. 14 days before his crucifixion, he gives them a parable that a wealthy ruler was going to go away made king and come back. We know this is a parallel of Jesus Christ. And God is trying to tell us, listen, if you're faithful and little here on earth, he'll he'll put you in charge of more and more. And when eternity comes, you will stand in a place of honor and you will stand in a place of responsibility because you were trusted on earth. I hate religion. Religion has painted a picture. We all go to heaven and we're going to be in heaven forever wearing white robes. I think God's got a better imagination than that, don't you? I look at the earth and how phenomenal and glorious creation is. Even after man has been dumping on it and messing it up for so many years, there are parts of it, a lot of parts, that are still spectacular. That's After the fall, could you imagine what this place looked like before the fall? And then we want to paint heaven in monotones. We're just going to be around the throne uh, worshiping. No, we will be worshiping every day through our lifestyles, and we will live lives dedicated to the King of kings and Lord of lords every day. Everything about us will be about Jesus. And that's how it's meant to be today in the church. We want enough church that we can just get in and get out and then get back to our kingdom. We come and visit his kingdom for a little bit. We do our due diligence and then we want his kingdom to bless our kingdom. No, I want my kingdom to bless his kingdom. Jesus shared that parable 14 days before he was crucified. Approximately 10 days before his crucifixion, he gave them another parable. Very similar. How many do you think that on the eve of his crucifixion, he's wanting to get a message home to his church? These parables are about four or five days separated and just at most two weeks before he's crucified. Turn in your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 21, starting with verse 33. Literally just days after the parable that I preached two weeks ago. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. 
there's a parallel between the two parables. And the two parables have got a parallel with heaven and earth. And the parallel between the two parables is that there's a wealthy dude who moves away after he invests in people in the first place. You see the parallel of the two parables? And so we're gonna throw on the screen five things that I noticed. Number one, he was the landowner. My father owns cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is his and it is full of his glory. Can I get an amen? This guy in this parable was the landowner. Number two, in his land he planted a vineyard. Now, number one, he was a landowner, he had property. Number two, he planted a vineyard he created room for produce, production. A vineyard produces. Number three, he put a wall around it and built a watchtower. He blessed it with protection. Number four, he dug a wine press. Potential. Potential to take the produce and turn it into greater equity. He dug a wine press. And number five, he rents the vineyard to the local people and he moves away. He rents the vineyard. He wants a prophet. Verse 34, when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants they beat one, they killed another, they stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. And why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't he think that they would respect his son? After all, the land was his, the vineyard was his, he gave them the opportunity to enjoy his property. He gave them the opportunity to benefit from his produce. He put a wall around it and a watchtower. He afforded them protection. He dug a wine press so that they didn't just have grapes to eat, but they could press the grapes and turn it into greater equity in the marketplace. And then he rented it because he wanted a profit. He sends his son and says, surely they're going to respect my son. And the parable goes on. Uh, but when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. You see, God is the landowner. And whether you want to recognize it in your life and whether you ever will recognize it in your life, God is the one who gave you breath. And he is the landowner of you. Are you hearing me? And God has put inside of you a vineyard. He has put produce inside of you. 
And God has put a wall around you and protected you all your life. And he put a watchtower there. God is constantly looking out and looking after us. And he dug a wine press so that we would have the opportunity of potential. But God wants to see that we will reproduce in his name and for his kingdom. Are you with me, church? And so they, they kill all of the servants and then the, they beat up the servants and then they kill the son. Verse 40, therefore when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Now at this point, if you understand that a parable is a parallel of heaven, you have to be asking yourself, how does this parable affect me? Every one of us are tenants. It's his property. It's his vineyard. He's put vineyards in there for us. He's given us opportunity. He's given us a wine press so that we can increase the potential. He's looking for productivity. He's looking for the sons of God to have a positive effect on the sons of men. Unfortunately, the sons of God often don't recognize the dignity that is upon them and they don't understand the honor that is inside of them and therefore they end up following the sons of men rather than being examples as the sons of God. Are you hearing me? This parable was invented, written, created, spoken out of the mouth of Jesus, the mouth of God, to give a lesson to every person who gets born again. He has put us in his kingdom. He's put a wall around us. We love to sing and dance about the fact that we are covered under the shadow of his wing. We love the fact that his eye is on the sparrow. How much more he's on the turkey too. We love the fact that these are benefits that we have living in the kingdom, but we forget too often we are planting vineyards in our own kingdom and we haven't understood that we have been called for such a time as this to build the kingdom of God. So when the owner of the vineyard comes, Jesus says, what will the master do to those tenants? Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Verse 41, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. And they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Now listen to me. This is a two-sided parable. Jesus was saying it to the people and the nation of Israel who had had their opportunity and they were about to slaughter their Messiah. And he was saying, your opportunity of salvation, your day, of salvation is going to come to an, an end and it's going to be given to another. 
And as Israel lay in ashes 70 years after the crucifixion of the Christ, the doors of salvation had already opened to the rest of the world and Israel ceased to exist as a nation. Understand that this parable isn't just a parallel, it's a prophetic testimony. And because it's prophetic about what has happened, it is also prophetic about what is yet to happen. And the same way God dealt with Israel, he will deal with the Gentile world. He has given us the pearl of great price. He has taken people that were broken in the kingdom of darkness, messed up, snotty, bleeding from their own inflicted wounds. And he has washed us up, cleaned us, held us, and pulled us to his chest. And he didn't just save us, he made us co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Amazing grace doesn't even fit. In the natural, if you would ask me, I think he's downright crazy. For loving me anyway. He got the short end of the stick. But I'm so glad. How many of you are so glad? Come on, turn to somebody and say, I am so glad. Two weeks ago, I asked you a question. Whose kingdom are you living for? Are you living for the kingdom of God? Are you living for the kingdom of self? This week, the question I'm asking you, and the title of my sermon is, Whose Business Is It Anyway? These tenants were paying rent, but they didn't want to pay rent. They stopped paying rent. It wasn't their land. It wasn't their vineyard. Larry, I only have what I have because of what my father has given me. And the moment we become arrogant and we are prideful and we boast about what we've accomplished and what we have gained, one name can take it away, Ian. And we need to honor the one name that gave it to us, Jesus Christ. You see, your life is the land, the property, and the vineyard that God has planted. You're his. You're not your own. He bought you. We live arrogantly here on this earth, sucking up air and filling space, pridefully mindful of me, myself, and I. While Jesus went to die on that cross to kill that destructive, prideful nature in us in the first place. We just become prideful in a different way. We become prideful of our Christianity. And we love to talk about who we are in Christ. I love to talk about who we are in Christ. I preach it all the time. But I never forget where he brought me from. And when I remember where he brought me from, it keeps humility 
and appreciation forefront in my heart. I want you to know, as a congregation, as the senior pastor of this church, I want every one of you to know you're not decrepit. You're not the enemy's plaything. I want you to know you're sons of God. I want you to know who you are in Jesus Christ. But if knowing these things are going to make you become so full of who you are and you go on living just for yourself, then let me insert, but don't forget where he took you from. We're his property. We're his vineyard. And in each one, he has planted a different kind of produce. And in each one of us, he's given us a different ministry to, uh, to increase that produce. For some, it's a, it's a wine press. For others, it is a, a, a blacksmith shop. And to others, it might be a supermarket. He's put gifts inside of you. He's put potentials in you to take the raw ingredients that God has given you and put at your disposal. And whatever industry you're meant to be in, whether it's the industry of hospitality, whether it's the industry of caring for the sick, whether it's the industry of teaching kids in a school, whether it's the industry of executive and high flyers, whatever industry he has put you in, whatever produce he has put in the DNA of your nature it is his and when we live to give to God when we live to serve him when we live a life that sings the name of Jesus divine order has come back into our lives the land odor is coming back And he's going to say, I heard you sing Amazing Grace and I saw the tears. Show me your appreciation now for that Amazing Grace. Did you just live for yourself or did you live for my kingdom? Is it getting uncomfortable? Because if it is, I don't apologize. I spend much of the year, every year, preaching, building you up, but never on lies. The truth will set you free. And sometimes the truth has to set us free from our own arrogance and self-servingness. Who are you living for? What's your world about? What does your life say? As you walk through the streets, how many people know you're born again? How many people know the miracles that God has done in your life? How many people, oh, well, I'm not a preacher. I, I, you know, I'm not good with putting verses together. How many people know the story of your salvation? If it's amazing grace, are you telling them the amazing story of your encounter with Jesus Christ? I watched my parents give up everything that they knew. Life isn't scary 
when you know all the parameters. Walking in the dark isn't scary when you know where everything is. It's when you're taken out of the known and into the unknown that confidence soon turns to fear. My parents took three little boys to the other side of the world, a place that everyone today would say, oh, I want to go there, you know, Australia. But when we went, we didn't have the internet. And when we went, I remember we went to a city called Adelaide, South Australia. There was, they just got a Kentucky Fried Chicken. It was the only one in the whole city. The lights, the street lights would be turned off at 9 o'clock at night. My parents didn't know if we'd get an education. They didn't even know if the, the language of the land was English. They only knew they were going to minister to Italian immigrants coming from Italy. They had no idea. My father's boss was a, a fatherly figure to him, another man of God, a, a good Christian man. And he offered my father the business. And my da dad turned it away because God called them to go to a city whose builder and maker was God. And I love the example my parents set me. I honor them. Yeah, they have faults. I don't wear rose-colored glasses. The first mistake they made was they had me. <laughs> they, they have faults. But I glory in their great successes. And our greatest successes are what we do unselfishly for Jesus Christ. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. They turned my heart towards God. You know how? My dad was the preacher, not one sermon. I can't remember any sermon. They were in Italian, I understood. Not one sermon. What turned my heart towards to be soft towards God was that the example of their life was that their hearts were soft towards God. Here in America, the emphasis is to earn enough money so that you can save enough money to put your kids through college so that they can get a degree so that they can make enough money. Notice a common theme. My parents gave me an education. That's why, you know, I, I love uh, Mariah and Lydia and their family. And I know the pain that goes inside of a minister's heart. We show a very brave face. When everyone else thinks that, man, look how strong he is. Look how brave he is. Look at his faith. You do understand a principle in the spirit world is strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And you will never know the unwritten and untold stories that go on inside of a preacher's heart and life in his mind and his emotions. The things that his family deliberately closed the doors because they never want to be taxing on the rest of the church and so they carry their own burdens. I respect this family because I know what it is to sell everything and serve God. And I see the fruit. 
You see, your mother was faithful in that vineyard, and she produced vineyards that are still producing today. And because of her and because of your daddy, your children and their children will continue to produce because there was a faith that was sown that was so real that mom and dad weren't going to back down or give up. You see, what are you living for? Because your kids are watching. What are you living for? Because heaven is watching. Here, let me put it another way. If you don't have kids and you're not too worried about heaven, what are you living for? Because demons are watching and they will see your Achilles heel. And they will take opportunity whenever they can. What grabs your heart? What grabs your fascination? What will pull you away? What is your priority in life? Jesus said it this way. Whatever your treasure is, Whatever your fascination is, whatever the thing is that floats your boat, whatever it is that gets you excited, where your treasure is, your heart will follow it. My parents were determined to make their treasure the kingdom of God. And I'm one of their fruit. And there's a passion inside of me Because I watched after my mother would do ministry with dad all day long, all week long. She was his driver. (laughs) Don't ask me why my dad never got a driver's license. She drove him everywhere, laid hands with him on every person, was behind the scenes constantly. And then at midnight, We'd all go to bed, and mom would stay up with one little lamp by her table. I swear to you, I am telling you the truth. Every night, my mother would write another aerogram and give her mother a complete detail of everything that happened that day. You say, oh, that's cute. No. You see, what got imprinted in a little boy was not even consciously, but subconsciously. We loved this family so much, and yet we left them to come to families we didn't know. For a God we haven't seen because of a Jesus who died for me. How does a kid not grow up profoundly affected for the kingdom of God? We're so worried about what the church is going to be like tomorrow. My question is, what's the church you like today? Because whatever you are today, that's what your offspring will be tomorrow. He's coming back. And you are his property and you are his vineyard. And he's looking for produce. What are you doing for the kingdom of God? And I'm not talking about even volunteering. Yeah, we have served cards behind every seat here in the building. I'm not even talking about volunteering. There's a serve card. Volunteer, by the way. But I'm not even talking about volunteering. That's a given. Tithes and offerings, that's a given. 
No, I told you I wasn't going after your tithes and offerings. I wasn't going after your money. I'm going after your heart. I'm going after the very essence of who you are. Because we have adulterated the gospel here in America. And we have preached a very Americanized gospel and it's all about us. And I, I'll tell you the truth. In God's eyes, it is all about us. But us means everybody else as well. And we've got caught up in our own headspace. When God wants us to be caught up in the vision of the cross and reaching the world. Come on, stand with me. My question to you is, whose business is it anyway? And I hope by now you know the answer. It's my father's business. While you're standing, this is what God told me to conclude this message with. Jesus was 12 years old and his parents went to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the religious festivities. A lot happening in Jerusalem. There's a buzz, there's an excitement. They come to worship God. His parents turn around and they're going home. In a couple of days, they notice Where's Jesus? I don't know if you've ever experienced the panic of for a moment thinking you've lost your child. We were new parents living in Dubbo, a country town in Australia, and there was a smallish department store in the main street, and it was a little bit of a mall, very micro compared to American standards. the city was 35,000 people serving a rural community of 120,000 people, very micro. But nonetheless, it was a bit of a mall, and we're walking down the mall, and we're talking, and Amy's there. She's about three, four years old. And suddenly, she's not there. The panic, the fear that gripped our hearts. These two young parents are going in opposite directions, yelling through the crowd, Amy, Amy, where are you? Amy, Amy. And the voices went from gentle inquiring to fear to panic when we couldn't find her anywhere. We were asking anyone, did you see a little girl about this tall? You understand why a parent would have fear and concern in their heart We live in a very sick world. And that's why our Father needs us to work in his kingdom. Fortunately, as we're panicking, we walk into one of the department stores and we're running up and down the aisles yelling, Amy, Amy. And we see in one aisle some clothing moving as they hang on the hangers, but there's no human being moving them. And there's our little three-year-old, four-year-old looking at dresses. Joseph and Mary had left Jerusalem. They're on their way home. They're talking with their friends, probably talking about the Lord, doing all the religious stuff like we do after church. It's not but a day or two days later, and they notice as they're journeying, where is Jesus? And they go rushing back to Jerusalem, frantic, 
searching everywhere. I can imagine the fear in their hearts. You know, when you get afraid, you get angry too. You get afraid and you get angry. And, and, and the anger came out of Mary and Joseph. In Luke chapter 2, where this story is, verse 48 to 49, listen. Listen to this. They finally find Jesus. And instead of going, ha oh, thank you, God. I was going to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. <laughs> they finally find Jesus. And the fear, instead of turning to sheer relief, it also turns to anger, that volume of energy. And they said, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And the little 12-year-old Jesus looked at them and said, Why did you seek me? Didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? Whose business is it anyway? We want to be followers of Jesus. Can you follow the example he set as a child? Because he's going to come back. And you could have the best excuses why you didn't attend to your father's business. But he was already there. And he can see through the excuses. Hello? Church, are you hearing me? Whose life are you living? What kingdom are you living for? He's coming back. We don't have a right to complain about how crazy the world has become if we're not standing on our rights as born-again sons of God helping to make a change in this world. Can I get an agreement? God has no problem with you having a fine house, even two houses or three houses. But what is your life speaking about? What is the song that gets sung out of your lifestyle every week? Church, America needs us. Yeah, they don't realize they need the church of Jesus Christ. They're trying to silence us. They're trying to stop us. They're trying to turn us into the enemy. They're calling us terrorists. We are extremists. But what they don't know is that they need the very thing that is the foundation of our lives. But what we have will be of no use to them unless we're living it to the full. If our Christianity is something we do on Sunday and occasionally during the week, it will not turn the nation and it will not turn the tide of demonic activity. If you don't understand that America is under assault, then you got to get your head out of the ground. And I could mention another location, but I won't. You got it anyway. Church, he died for us, and I am not my own. And it doesn't matter what I go through through the week, and it doesn't matter what I personally feel like on a Sunday. When I get on that pulpit, and even during the week when you're not watching, I will sing my praises to a great God who loves me and has redeemed me, and I will put my hope in his salvation yet again. I spent the first part of this series talking about your authority and your power. Now I'm talking about 
your lifestyle and your life. All the authority of heaven has been given to you. What kingdom are you living for? Whose business is it anyway? You can start to play. This is a challenge first to the church. In a moment, if you've never asked Jesus Christ in your heart, he's given you life, he's given you breath, he's actually been looking out for you. And in a moment, I'm going to give you that opportunity to ask him into your heart. But right now, this message is to the church. Church, what are we living for? My goal, and if my goal is going to make you leave this church, I'm not changing my goals. My goal is to make you kingdom-minded and kingdom-living. My goal is to turn every one of you into a part of the functioning body of Jesus Christ. My goal is to pick you up, clean you up, raise you up, and fill you up with who you are, Jesus Christ, and then turn you out and say, come on, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. If we're not preserving the earth, there is nothing that can preserve this nation or the rest of the world. You've heard enough news. You know we're teetering on the brink of a world war. When are we going to wear out our knees? When the first nuclear bomb is dropped? When are we going to get serious? The Bible talks about when David was being raised up and Saul is hunting him down like a dog. Men started to join David and the Bible takes time to talk about the tribe where the men were skilled in left hand and right hand combat. And those that were archers and they were brilliant. As a tribe, they were brilliant archers. And it goes on about those that were javelin throwers and how they could throw that spear with tremendous accuracy. And then it talked about the sons of Ishakah. They didn't have slingshots. They didn't have swords. They didn't know jujitsu. They didn't have shields. They understood. This is what the Bible says. They understood the times and the seasons of God. Do you know that that very issue caused Jesus to weep? He turned to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his church, And he said, you look at the moon and you can tell what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. You check out the rings around the moon. You look at the, 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 the heavens, the clarity or obscurity, and you know you can predict the weather. Why is it you can't tell the seasons in the spirit? You and I need to be sons of Ishaka who understand the season we are living in. And I am telling you as your pastor, and I am telling you as God's mouthpiece today, two parables within four to five days, 14 days before he went to the cross. If you ever thought last words were important, then understand these last words of Jesus are important. And just because they're parables doesn't mean they are folklore. 
parables are parallels of truths that are in heaven that God wants to implement on earth. Too often, we have an American mentality of going to church. No, you're the church in the workplace. You're the church in the marketplace. You're the church in the hospital. You're the church in the educational system. You're the church. It's not just about building your house. It's about building the house of God. You think I just preach on Sundays? During the week after Ian blew himself out of Florida, I went to home uh, to Lowe's to pick up some stuff to work on this house that it's taken me 12 months and better to restore and still in the process. And I run into Carl. There he is, Carl. He didn't see me coming. I come up from behind and I nudged him and then hid. So I wanted to see his reaction, you know. I wanted to see if he'd tell me what for. Be careful. You know what he did? He apologized for being in the way. So typical of Carl. He's a gentle soul, a good man. His son is this tall. And he's like this. I mean, your son is huge. How big is he? 6'4", wide. I slapped him on his chest. I said, dude, you're big. And my hand hurt. It's huge. And so, uh, Kervin and Carl and I, we just started talking. Carl says, I was just telling them that we prayed about the hurricane. He said, and so his son's told him, he says, yeah, isn't that amazing? We were supposed to get hit. And we're going back and forth, back and forth. And he's amazed at the power of prayer because his dad had been sowing the seeds. We're at the checkout line in Lowe's. Am I lying? You laid a foundation for me. You laid a foundation. Just being car. Because I came in and because of the seeds you had sown in your son, I then turned the joking gesture and conversation about Ian and the power of prayer to, hey, when are you coming to church? He said, Pastor, I, I know I gotta come. He said, I'm gonna come. I said, it is important that you raise your family in the house of God. You see, I was being the church in the marketplace. He was being the church in his home. Whose business is it? It's your father's business. It's his property, his vineyard, and he wants to see produce coming out of our lives. Can I get an agreement here this morning? I want every one of you to deeply think about these two parables over the last three weeks I've preached. That's Jesus's, some of his last words to the church. And how he dealt with the nation of Israel, he will deal with the Gentile world. Because God is no respecter of persons. He treats everyone the same. And God will ask us, what have you done for my kingdom? What have you done? I'm calling the church not to go to church, to be the church. And when you personally become 
the vehicle of expansion for the kingdom of God, then that authority and power I've been preaching about will suddenly have legitimacy in your mouth. if I really love you I'll even tell you things that might make you not love me if I really love you I'll tell you things that could make my attendance plummet you see in church growth because church growth becomes the issue we curb what we say I haven't sold myself out to church growth God can grow the church. I've sold myself out to tell the truth. As we close, thank you. If you have never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, you really need to. <laughs> Listen, I've done a lot of screwed up stuff. I've made a ton of mistakes. And my life with Jesus is 10 billion times better than my life, my way, in my world. God loves you. And he wants to bring, he wants to bring that confusion back into order. And he wants to put his divine blessing around your life. Every one of us has sinned. That's why Jesus died. He died for every one of us. If you've made a mistake, if you've sinned, he died for you. Every eye closed. If you have not asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, if you haven't welcomed him to be God in you, the Lord in you, if you've walked away from God and you know it's time to come back, come on. Raise your hand right now and say, God, I accept you, Jesus. I'm asking you into my heart. Raise your hand right now if that's you. Come on. Put your hand up and say, that's me. I want Jesus in my life. I want to walk and live knowing God is inside of me. All right, then I'm going to assume that I am talking to a house of God's sons and daughters. So this message applies to every one of you. Hello? You know, sometimes we hear a sermon and we say, man, that was just for me. I want everyone to take your right hand and slap your left shoulder and say, this sermon was just for me. Amen. Let's live for the kingdom and be about our Father's business. God bless you, church. God bless you. Amen.